the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. I'm going to read, now I've marked out for us to cover uh, from chapter 6, verse 45, through chapter 7, verse 23. It's a big, it's a, this last passage is really extensive. We will probably get to it and do it, but uh, let me begin by reading chapter 6, verse 45, through the close of the chapter. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude, the 5,000 who had just been fed, away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was, wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched him were made well. What an outrageous response there is to Jesus. Look at all of this positive response. People are having demons cast out of them. They're being cleansed of their illnesses. All of these debilitations set aside, blind receiving their sight, the deaf receiving their hearing, and people who can't speak, the mute are able to speak. All of these things that are happening, they're coming to Jesus for this. They're not mostly coming to Him for His Word. Now they are blown away. They are amazed at His Word. In the opening passage of chapter 6, we find Jesus coming back to Nazareth. He speaks in the synagogue in Nazareth. And the Nazarenes, with whom he spent over 30 years, are amazed at his wisdom. And they have heard all these accounts of his mighty acts. And there's, what? How can this guy, how can this guy, a Nazarene, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? How can this guy be what he provably is? And the Nazarenes rejected him, not because of what, of his lack of evidence, lack of proof, but because they were actually disqualifying themselves. 
We can't have grown up with Messiah. We can't have grown up. By the way, one of the things they do not say, oh, we lived with this guy for over 30 years. We know what he's really like in private. No, no accusations against his morality. They had spent over 30 years. If anybody had stuff that they could use him with, they, they would surely be the people, but they didn't. They disqualified themselves. But the same thing is true of the apostles. As it says here, Jesus in, the, in chapter 6, he has fed the 5,000. The, the apostles have come back. He had sent them out two by two, gave them power to cast out demons. He gave them power to, to heal people. And they did all this thing to preach the gospel. Then they came back to him and he said, okay, guys, we need to go on a retreat. <laughs> and so they headed off across the uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee to a place, and the people saw where they were going, and when they got there, thousands of people (laughs) were waiting for them at this place where Jesus wanted to have a time of rest and relaxation, and no such thing happened. Here are the 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and children. And he fed the 5,000, He sends the apostles back. He goes up in a mountain. And then, as as we read in the text, he sees them out there. They're not making any progress. They're trying to row against the wind. They're getting hardly anywhere. And so he starts walking on the water. By the way, this is in in the Matthew account, this is the time when Peter says, oh, Jesus, if you can walk on the water, can I walk on the water? Well, if you have enough faith. And Jesus stepped out of the boat and started walking on the water. And if you're familiar with that account, he then took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the waves and started to sink. And Jesus had to yank him out and save him. But Jesus steps into the boat with Peter and the sea is suddenly calm. The wind stops. And they're able to get to Bethsaida, which is within easy walking distance, by the way, of Capernaum. And they get to Bethsaida and... So he has walked on the sea. Well, what does it say at the close of the passage there in verse 52? Well, it says in verse 51, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. This is a fellow walking on the water, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, stopping the storm, and they are greatly amazed and they marveled for they had not understood about the loaves. They hadn't, they're hard-headed. They hadn't understood about the, the loaves be, because their heart was hardened. And the same thing that prevented the Nazarenes from willingly embracing this other Nazarene who has demonstrated the wisdom and power of God, they're going through the same process. We're fishermen. We're these regular blue-collar guys. Who is getting their minds and spirits and hearts stretched to where this, the true and living God, has come down to earth and chosen me? Really? Ladies and gentlemen, that's us. That's us. What causes us to disqualify us from God's use, 
God using us. Satan wants to disqualify all of us. He gives us all kinds of reasons why, oh, that can't be, oh, that can't be. The mercy is for other people. The grace is for other people. The wisdom is for other, no. He pursues, what are we called? His sheep. Now, I've mentioned this before, but folks, when you call someone a sheep, that's an insult. <laughs> it means they are in desperate need of help, but also most of the help they need is, is because of problems they got themselves into. And so if you're a sheep and we understand ourselves to be sheep and we got ourselves into the fix that we're in or whatever reason we're giving to God why it can't be for me, is untrue. This is the God, what's our favorite word? Mercy. This is the God of aggressive mercy. Aggressive mercy. And we are his, the children of his mercy. This is the lesson. They couldn't get their minds wrapped or really stretched enough, their minds and ours stretched enough to understand fully, this is the creator God who just fed those 5,000 people. This is the creator God who stills the storm and stops the wind. Now, they're going to get the lesson, but it takes, he's with them three full years. And even in the upper room, when Jesus gets crucified and then rises from the dead and the women came back to the upper room, we have seen, we've just, been, we've just encountered angels who have told us that Jesus, the tomb is empty, Jesus is risen from the dead, an angel told us. And Peter and John run to the tomb. And even then, they're going back, scratching their heads. How can this be? How can this be? Even when Jesus appears in the upper room, what do they do? Oh, this is just a, a vision. It's not, oh, come on. Give me something to eat. Touch me, touch me, touch me. <laughs> how, this is how hard our, our own hearts are. The apostles were not as more dumb than us. They're the same as us. They did not understand about the loaves because their heart was hardened. But when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And the people recognized him. And all these people came begging him to be healed. They know the healings are happening. And every single person <coughs> who has enough faith to touch the hem of his garment is healed. Outrageous testimony. There was not a moral requirement. There was a faith requirement. All they had to do was have enough faith to get somebody to haul them to the, to the marketplace so when Jesus walked by, they could touch the hem of his garment. They had to have that much faith and enough faith to reach out and touch the hem of his garment, and they were healed. That's how eager God is to hear our prayers, to address our issues. Now, chapter 7, verse 1. When the Pharisees and some of the scribes came, came together to him in Bethsaida, having come from Jerusalem, now when 
they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Oh, how dare they? Snort, snort. (laughs) He, Jesus, answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But I say, if you, if a man, but you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Korban that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So what have they done? They've created, what's all this hand-washing nonsense? They created, who knows how many generations this old, but it's not found in the Word of God. It's not found in Leviticus. When they brought this goods from the market, they sat down, they did not do, it doesn't say they didn't wash their hands at all. They didn't do it according to the formula. Oh, the formula, the, the formula we got handed down to us from the elders that is so important, that is so righteous. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the normal bent of a fallen human being? We want to do what we want to do. Now, some of those fallen human beings grew up in a religious culture that said, our God, and it may be the, the idea is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God has certain mandates for us. The mindset of the Pharisee They appeared to the Jewish culture as being the super Jews. They've got it covered. They've got, they are getting all these things done. They're crossing every T, they're dotting every I, and all of these things. But what is the ultimate purpose of being a religious in that sense, a legalist? Ultimately, I get done and I can go do what I want to do. 
And besides that, I've got the knucklehead attention of the people, the culture that think I'm actually cool. (laughs) So I'm getting two things done. I'm getting their admiration. And there comes a point where I can say I'm done. Now I can do what I want. Now the rank pagan is just saying, hey, I want to do what I want all the time. But it's always about doing what we want. Why did the why do they have these traditions of the elders? We want and we want to make the law doable. We want to make the law doable. So let's kind of set aside that Ten Commandments thing and let's do doable things. (laughs) And so the apostles come, they bring this food, they sit down, they didn't they don't do this washing ritual, and they get attacked because they're eating their bread with unclean hands. And Jesus says, quotes Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Simple question that I need to ask myself. Do I do the same thing? Okay, Lord, I'm doing this uh, Bible reading thing here. And by the way, I am doing a Bible reading thing here where I'm reading a certain amount of the Bible every day. Is that good? Oh, that's good. That's okay. Or maybe a certain amount of time in prayer or whatever regimen you have. Don't do that regimen with the idea, okay, now I'm done. Now I can go do what I want. No, I am God's servant 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And oh, by the way, he is a God of great comfort. He is a God in whose presence we can find authentic joy, welcome, mercy, love, consolation. That's the kind of God, the true and living God, the creator God is. Don't disqualify yourself from his authentic blessing by religiosity. That's what the Pharisees, the Pharisees had contented themselves with this religious format. And once they were done with that, they were done with that, they could serve themselves. That's not what God has called us to. He's called called us to true, unrestrained, undiluted blessing in our service to him. Our service to him is also an opportunity for our greatest joy. Is there any greater joy than knowing that God just used you to do something totally outside of you? (laughs) Is there any greater joy than that? Wow, the true and living God qualified me to be an authentic servant of his, truly useful. Thank you, Lord. The Pharisee mindset was rule, laws, 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 laws. But if they actually came up with laws that enabled them, or rules that enabled them in their own minds to violate the actual word of God. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God. What is this? This is a tradition they came up with. Probably the Sadducees. Probably, you know, the temple was a den of thieves. Oh, I can declare my wealth, 
my investments to be dedicated. That's what Korban means, dedicated. When I die, my wealth will be handed off to the use of the temple officials for the advancement of God's glory. Oh, sorry, Dad and Mom, I can't access that for your benefit. Well, the Bible commands loving your father and your mother. What is that? That is if they have a need. Number one, as a child, you obey them. But as an adult, if they have an actual need, you are to be their servant in meeting that need. You're to love them. But they created a tradition that gave them an excuse to not obey God's law. Oh, by the way, that makes you worthy of death. You say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, dedicated to his use in that day to come when I'm no longer here, then... You no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. That's not just, that's not the only example I can give. And when he had called all the multitude to himself, not just the disciples, but all of the people, this is information the community needs to hear. Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. What about those dietary laws? What about not eating pork? What about not eating rabbits? (laughs) They have to have both a a cloven hoof, and a chew the cud. Well, rabbits chew the cud, but they don't have a cloven hoof, and pigs have a cloven hoof, but they don't chew the cud. Oh, those are unclean animals. And Jesus is saying, you know, forget about that. That's not what authentically defiles a person. What authentically defiles a person is outright sin. There is nothing that enters a man. You don't become defiled by the meat that you eat. Now, I'm not saying that they should set aside that law. Now, they can, as the church, we're not under that law. We're specifically told that in Paul's letter to the Romans. But what he's saying is, if that's not to be your focus, your focus is to love God and love your neighbor. Hear me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, these are the things that defile a man. It's what comes out of your fallen, sinful, wicked human nature that comes out, that is expressed, and that defiles you. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Did you hear me? Please listen to me. Meditate on what I just said to you. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? By the way, that's not the first time he rebukes them for the lack of understanding. Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because he 
It does not enter his heart. It doesn't go into the reality of who he is. It does not enter his heart, but his stomach. And is eliminated. And then was probably, now in my red letter Bible, that's still in red, but it probably shouldn't be. It should be in parentheses because it's either from Mark or Peter. Probably, as I mentioned when we started this series, this could really be called the Gospel of Peter. Thus purifying all foods. Thus purifying. This is the, this, this gospel was incited by the apostle to the Jews. It took that apostle of the Jews a long time to pull away from all the Jewish cultural features. And thus purifying all foods. So several decades later, Peter gets it. (laughs) And he, Jesus said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed. Okay, Jesus, you're going from uh, you're you're going to get pretty tough on us here. From with from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. It's what rises out of your fallen sinful nature that you allow, that you embrace that you give permission to express. You don't, as an authentic Christian and dwelt by God the Holy Spirit, you don't have to bow the knee to your fallen nature. I don't have to bow the knee to my fallen sinful nature. But do we? It's a moment-to-moment, minute-to-minute issue. What is a temptation A temptation is an opportunity to either serve God or serve the world of flesh and the devil. And Jesus says, when you serve the world of flesh and the devil, you are, that's authentic defilement. God hovers over you going, oh man, oh no, yikes, stinky, stinky. You don't want that. Authentic defilement is what comes out of a man. Now, we're close to 2,000 years since the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. This, this is still a, a giant issue in, among God's people. Because what is our bent? All these bents toward customs and traditions and formats and rules and now, none of those things are necessarily wrong, but they're not to be the focus. The focus is Christ. He is my present reality at all times, in all places. The fullness of who He is is present with me to meet every need. And He is never surprised by anything. He governs our life experience. 
We just asked for prayer a few minutes ago that the Lord would replace this wonderful fine car that we've had since 2009. I had no problems with, and then the Lord sent a deer to commit suicide in front of our vehicle. You know, God is in, you know, we could look at the, oh, Lord, an accident. No, it wasn't an accident. It was an incident. God was in charge of of that. (coughs) Where is he going to take us from that place to the next place? I don't know. But it's one day at a time. We are to trust him and he will show himself true. And we are our... We have an authentic living relationship with the living God. It's not about rules and getting done and going off to be able to do what we want to do now. No. That whole format offends the true and living God. He wants us in his embrace. And he wants to embrace us back in all of who he is and all of his provision. Can we pray for one another right now for that? Our Lord, what you have presented here in Mark's gospel to us today is the basic reality of what relationship with you looks like. We can be embraced by you and all of that you are as our Redeemer as our sovereign Lord devoted to us, demonstrating your love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the God that you are. We covet that embrace. We are voicing our desire to be embraced fully by that. Now, we know we already are, but that we might understand it and walk in it with expectation that you are always attentive to our needs. And so we ask that you would enable us to walk in you in that understanding and that we would not allow ourselves to be pulled aside into a false religiosity format of whatever form it takes in order to really ultimately serve ourselves. May, may we be completely cleansed of all that old idea of that old format of life that was that governed us while we before we even came into the kingdom. May we be cleansed of that and fully embraced by you as we authentically serve you. We ask this of you, good shepherd and king. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and we will close with this simple chorus of Jesus.